So good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Caleb Jenks. And we were gone for two weeks in a row, and I do apologize about that. It wasn't intentional. Caleb and I had a very busy couple of weeks. We had some personal obligations that kept us from getting on here. It was not our plan. It just worked out that two weeks in a row, we were not able to make it. So now we're back. A couple of weeks ago, we started a series of discussions. We only did one, and now this is part two or the, the second discussion on different religions. So we're trying to stick to Christian religions right now. We're not trying to get into extra biblical, non-Christian religions that say they're Christian. We're going to get into a variety of these uh, as the as the weeks go on. And for some of you, this might be boring. We do apologize, but this is just what we're jumping into right now. With that being said, tonight we are talking about the Pentecostal church. Caleb, what do you want to tell us about the Pentecostal church? First of all, Caleb, why are you the resident expert on the Pentecostal church? Oh, that's funny. I've actually spent very little time in a Pentecostal church, um, but I have spent I have spent some some time and have been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. My parents were uh, born again in a Pentecostal church, and so okay. I I kind of come from this background. Have a lot of friends that are in some brand or some version of the Pentecostal church. Actually, quite a number of friends. I think that it's probably the single biggest denomination that has influenced me and my belief systems uh, through the years. I've probably Mm -hmm. been influenced and uninfluenced by it over time uh, as I've kind of moved uh, further toward the uh, toward the mainstream, I guess, or I don't know where where I'd be now. Complicated, I guess, like I say with Patrick. (laughs) I don't consider myself Pentecostal, but um, I certainly have some respect for a lot of the, the beliefs and the um, energy that's behind the movement. Let me ask you this. Did you ever consider yourself to be a Pentecostal? Yeah. So probably the first 20 years of my life, I consider myself Pentecostal. We're, we're talking zero to 20 or like, you know, well, five, yeah. <laughs> you that's, know, that's, what? that's the interesting thing about growing up in a Pentecostal household is, mm-hmm. is your, um, you are religious from birth kind of, I mean, it's, it's one of these things where if you know much about the holiness movement, um, they, I do not. there's a lot of emphasis that was put on practically living out Christian values. Uh, and, and this went on to the children and there was actually a lot of pressure put on, put on parents inside of, inside of the faith to, to try to have their children be a good witness to their Christian faith. So before the Christian, before the child becomes a Christian or has a born again experience, they are, are nurtured, you know, in the admonition of the Lord, but they're also expected. They have the expectation of Christian values before they themselves are converted. So, so fake it till you make it. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> and Brilliant. So, so um, why, why course, is that? I don't know. It's it's very it's very interesting, and I don't think all Pentecostals are that way. We were kind mm. of an odd an odd breed of duck, mm. um, okay. but it is common among the Holiness movement. Now, a lot of the Pentecostal Church did kind of reject the Holiness doctrine, 
And okay, if you now, look- K- Caleb, you got to explain to us, because I know I'm not the only one that's going to say this. What is the holiness doctrine? Okay, so... Start, the, uh, pretend so, so we go back don't to- know anything, because I doubt many of our listeners know much about their own religion, let alone someone else's. All right. So, Okay, so first of all, before we get too deep in this, to all of my Pentecostal friends out there... Uh-oh. And, and my holiness friends, I certainly love you guys, ton of respect, and this is nothing, I'm not on here to diss, to diss any mm-hmm. of you or, or your beliefs. Sounds like uh, he's about to. If you ask me, it sounds like that's exactly what he's well, about to do. The, the funny thing is, is that to somebody that grew up and has been steeped in this, it, mm-hmm. it's going to sound totally normal. Uh, but to the outsider, some of this is going to sound a little odd. The holiness movement and this is where the, the Methodists came from. Wesleyan doctrine held to a second work of grace where you were born again. And then something later on happens where you are sanctified and you are perfected. So now Wait, every is thought- that a, sorry, I have a lot of questions. So okay. please forgive me if I'm, I'm not meaning to disrupt your flow. And if you want me oh, yeah. to hold them for a bit, just tell me. No, go, go right ahead. The second, what'd you call it? They call it a second work of grace. A second work of grace. And you said during that second work of grace, that is what Total I would call. Okay, so that was my question. The way that I teach it is that sanctification begins upon salvation, and that is something that you work on throughout the rest of your life, trying to conform yourself to the image and likeness of Christ, trying to be more like Christ. They're teaching that this happened all at once. What's really interesting about this is you actually agree with something that they believe in theoretically and yet disagree. Okay. So, so the way that you explain that sounds Mm -hmm. like sanctification is something that you do by works, which is something that I know you reject as a Baptist is obviously we uh, we're saved through the blood of Jesus alone. There's no, we're not earning our way to heaven. So the Mm -hmm. Wesleyan doctrine says that if, if sanctification is by a process where it mm-hmm. happens over time, it's like you building muscles, working out, mm-hmm. but that's a work of your own, as opposed to if it's a work of grace, if it's God doing it, then it's, then it's an instant second work of grace where all of a sudden it's finished. Uh, and that's one of the, one of the early splits in the Pentecostal movement was, was moving away from this finished work, this, this second work of grace that was considered a finished work of grace, like assembly of God, I think the Foursquare Church as well, both rejected the second work of grace in instant sanctification. And really what this got replaced with mm-hmm. was speaking in tongues. And that's, this is where the, the Pentecostal Church kind of has some yeah. of them. It was They still held to the second work of grace. And now this was a third work of grace. So they, they believed that you yeah. had to be saved, <clears throat> sanctified, and then, mm-hmm. and then baptized by the Holy Spirit. You had okay, a question. Now, now, well, th- I wanted to clarify something. So please understand that uh, for salvation, <clears throat> salvation happens at the time you receive Christ as your savior. And and we've talked about this so much that I don't think I need to go over it anymore. But this is the idea when you pass from death unto life. Okay, you were lost. You received Jesus as your savior. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So now at this point, you are a sinner who has had their sins forgiven. And when you stand before God one day, none of those sins will keep you from getting into heaven. But you're just as wicked as you were 10 minutes ago. 
Right. Right. Because you don't know anything different. So then starts the process of sanctification, which I am not saying has anything to do with salvation. Right. It just starts. That's something that the Lord is now doing with you. And you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And the Holy Spirit is pushing you to do the will of the Lord and is uh, trying to dissuade you from doing your own will and trying to get you to be more like Christ. Does that make sense? Did I explain that poorly or, or was there a misunderstanding before? No, I don't want not. you thinking that that I think that's like if you don't reach a certain point of sanctification, the justification part that happened didn't count. You know, for, for right. me, the justification is the whole thing. And then sanctification and glorification are the next two parts that are going to happen in Christianity today in America. We'd like to see a little bit more sanctification and maybe a little bit more emphasis on that. But it's still something that is a work of the Lord that, you know, the Lord is is making us into more of the image and likeness of Christ. And unfortunately, many times he's dragging us instead of leading us, you know, like a shepherd. Please forgive me for interrupting. Continue. So the way that you just explained it, salvation mm -hmm. being a one-time, irreversible, instant mm -hmm. work of grace and sanctification mm -hmm. being a process. Uh -huh. So this is um, a theology that is exactly opposite of a lot of the Wesleyan tradition. Pentecostals. Yep. So it was a first work of grace. Well, I don't know if I should even say it's opposite because they were all over the map on this, but the, uh, so I'm not sure if you're friends with some of the holiness people there in, in, in Grand Junction, but my wife and I attended a Maybe. holiness church for, mm -hmm. uh, for a while there, a Bible missionary church. So when the holiness movement split off, it went the holiness. I'd like to just <clears throat> give another caveat. I'm not friends with anyone in this town. <laughs> okay. There you go. So uh, <laughs> we're probably not. Uh, so anyways, the, the, the holiness movement went one way and, and the Pentecostal movement went the other way. And they both mm -hmm. really come from the same background, but they, they had a split. And so the big argument was over the second work, work of grace being a finished work of grace, uh, whether it's a, a, a process or not. The bulk of Pentecostals now believe in sanctification as a process okay. rather than as an instant second work of grace. For a mm -hmm. while in the early, right after the, the early 1900s, the beginning of the Pentecostal movement, what happened is... It was actually kind of a cool thing when you when you think about it. I think either Patrick or I would have possibly ended up being prime prime candidates to fall into the Pentecostal movement. Of course, I, I always I always say this: coming out of the uh, '50s, all the baby boomers, the um, the hippie era, late '70s, '80s, a lot of those people were attracted to a, a high that they would get off of you know whatever drugs that they were doing, and mm -hmm. oftentimes when those people were born again, they were attracted to the Pentecostal movement because of the spiritual high. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've sometimes joked around about it with some of my friends that are in the Pentecostal church and just said, it seems like it doesn't always attract the most emotionally stable people <laughs> because you, you end up with some of these, no. some, of, some of these same guys that went from one high to the other high. But the, the issue that happened with the, in the, the early 1900s, the Azusa, Azusa Street revivals. These were this was a time where there's people that kind of went from having organized church, the educated theologians, the pastors that had been through seminary, and among a lot of the Protestant church, 
there really was kind of there kind of was still like the social elite. It was um, there, this was kind of a rebellion against the against it was like a a protest against the Protestant Church. And it's kind of interesting when you read about it. So they would they would meet in like wooden structures and tents. They would have tent revivals, and their emphasis was I mean lay lay people could preach. Uh, their emphasis was mm -hmm. on the move of the spirit, and it wasn't so much on traditional church values that had been around. So they went from really from the the holiness movement to a very charismatic era where the emphasis now was in the early 1900s. The emphasis was heavily on speaking in tongues. And this is still to this day, really what sets the Pentecostal church apart from all the other churches, mm -hmm. even other charismatic churches, you'll have, you'll have every other brand of church that starts having people that are more interested in the, in more of the spiritual side of things than, than the religious side of things. They're more interested in the, you know, you know, clapping hands and uh, raising their hands or, you know, whatever the more charismatic spirit filled services. And it's it's good to distinguish that from Pentecostalism because any anybody can be charismatic, but mm -hmm. Pentecostals are not only charismatic in their worship, but they are there's a huge emphasis on a second or what some early on they called it a third work of grace, which was the baptism of the spirit. So you first saved. Go ahead. Well, th this is something that I feel is important to just mention. Pentecostals. Yeah don't have the corner on the market of being charismatic. No, there's sure lots not. of churches that are charismatic and that doesn't mean Pentecostal. The Pentecostal church has certain beliefs that we would call their distinctives that are different from other churches. And that is what sets them apart. You can have very charismatic churches that do not believe at all what the Pentecostals do. So keep in mind that the way you're describing it, it sounds as, and I've heard it described this way before, but you said they're more interested in the spiritual side of the church rather than the religious side. Well, that makes it sound that if someone is not excited about a charismatic church, then there's a problem. Right. And, and that's what I want to tell everyone. That is not the case. Okay, your church doesn't have to be charismatic to be close to God. That that's exactly. not a there's no correlation there. You know, don't let don't let anyone tell you that there is, because the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. As a matter of fact, Paul was the guy that bored people to sleep right. with how long he preached, and they ended up dying because of it. So, you know, don't think that unless it's charismatic. The spirit of God is not present or doing something. I just wanted to throw that in there because I've heard it explained that way so many times as if charismatic means close to God. And, and if it's not charismatic, that means far from God. And it's like, no, nah, that's not what the Bible says. So right. forgive me if I, you know, just. So the, the, the distinction there between the charismatic movement and the Pentecostal movement is sometimes it can it can look confusing at times because oftentimes from from an outsider if you stepped into a pentecostal church and you see people you know running the aisles and speaking in tongues and you know whatever's going on it may look similar to what you would see in a charismatic church but the, theologically they're very very different so the the emphasis here doctrinally on the on this third work of grace what they initially called a third work of grace has carried uh very strongly to where this is still 
uh, like I said, some of the distinctives that the things that distinguish between them and other churches would be kind of the charismatic nature of their worship services. But theologically, this idea of of salvation and the second work of grace or so originally they called it a third work of grace. So you, you're saved. Then once you became sanctified in the holiness movement, then you <clears throat> could become baptized by the spirit. And mm-hmm. the baptism of the Holy Spirit was looked at as different than just the promise of the Holy Spirit at, at, at baptism. It was evidenced and is still to this day in the Pentecostal church considered evidenced only through speaking in tongues. So if, mm-hmm. if somebody does not speak in tongues, then they are not filled with the spirit and therefore they are not, They're not actually born again. Correct. So okay, that now, is part of, go, can, ahead. go ahead. No, finish your point, And then I want to, so, I want to comment on that. So that's part of the big difference in theology. You can be a Christian and, a, and attending a church. that's a charismatic church and, and you could fit right in. Mm-hmm. If you are a Christian and you attend a Pentecostal church and you haven't had this second work of grace, which is now what they, they would consider it a second work of grace, because they most of the Pentecostal churches reject the holiness movement as, as a finished work of grace. So it's now considered a process. Uh, sanctification is a process, but the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an instant one-time event. So if you missed that, if you've not experienced it, you're not born again. And so you can't theologically, there, there's a huge distinction between them and, and every other church. You're mm-hmm. not a Christian unless you have <clears throat> been born again through baptized by water and fire. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the way that it's, that's the way that it's sold. And, and I mean, you, you walk into any Pentecostal church, any Sunday, and you're going to hear this preached from the pulpit. Okay. Now let me ask you this because this, and this was my understanding and, and maybe it's incorrect in the Pentecostal church. Do they believe, or is this a distinctive of theirs, that you can lose your salvation through sin? Any means, pretty much. Okay. Now, the idea is, and follow this simple logic, if you are saved, the Holy Spirit is living inside you. Do we agree, Caleb? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the way to tell if you are saved is if this act that the Holy Spirit produces happens in your life, which in their case is, or encouraged is speaking in tongues. So from week to week, the sin in your life that could cause you to lose your salvation, if you want to know if you're saved today, well, that's easy. If you have, you got it. You speak in tongues, you're saved. The Holy Spirit's in you. If you can't, or if that's not something you've been doing lately, then maybe the Holy Spirit's not in you because of the sin in your life, which means that you are currently not saved in a state of grace and you need to get your life right. Is that accurate? Yeah. So they would, much like the rest of Christianity, they would believe that how, how would I put this? So they would mm. believe in in experiences of of the Holy Spirit after baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there's this mm-hmm. this one time initial this initial baptism that you must experience, and then after that you may have more experiences of the Holy Spirit. After that, you may speak in tongues. Um, but th- it's it's interesting because it's there's a lot of pressure on this, which I find to just be extremely unbiblical. And if, if there's any if, if there's any of my Pentecostal friends that are watching this tonight, mm-hmm. definitely chime in on the comments because I want to know if I'm if I'm misrepresenting the church. Uh, I'm certainly not trying to. 
But this is where I find it to be extremely un, unscriptural is, is the Bible says that the self-same spirit that gives all the other gifts of the spirit to one <clears> gift, <throat> the gift of administration, another Correct. The gift of tongues. So, it, yeah. it, so really all speak with tongues Yep. <clears throat> and yet it, all are, all are filled with the spirit. So it's, it seems like biblically, I mean, the promise of being baptized and, and you will receive the, the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. It does seem to me to be a promise. And I think one thing that, that I do give them credit for is that there's been enough emphasis on seeking more of, of God's spirit that it wasn't just like, Oh, okay, well, I, I, I know I got that when I got saved. And mm -hmm. so I'm never going to seek more of God. So they mm -hmm. really do put a lot of emphasis on, on trying to regenerate, somebody says severely. I'm not nope. sure if I'm severely. He, he didn't. Nope. He didn't say severely. Oh, he severally. Said severally, which is what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will administer these gifts severally, meaning one at a time, as He will. Right. So it we experience and are used of the Holy Spirit, of the spiritual gifts as the Holy Spirit yeah. determines. Right. The, the, so, the, the, so me holding your hands and yeah. and laying hands on you and praying for you and talking in your ear and co coaching you to start speaking in <laughs> tongues isn't necessarily. I may not have this the Holy Spirit's agenda in mind when I pressure you to to speak so in tongues. That's I think the concern for all of us that are not charismaniacs. I mean Pentecostals. <laughs> we are concerned that the one gift that can be faked. Hey, you said it. Okay, you said you said the F word faked <laughs> is the one that they rely so heavily on. Unfortunately, it's like in the same verses, like you said, it talks about gifts of administration, it talks about gifts of teaching and preaching and a variety of other gifts that honestly, Caleb, just aren't that exciting, you know, and they don't seem to be used as an evidence of someone being saved in those churches. And I think that's the concern for the conservative Bible reader is why is the only gift that's ever, it's kind of held up as the most important one. And the fact is it's actually listed and talked about as the least important. One. That's exactly right. what Paul well, says about it. Explicitly. <laughs> yeah. Not, it's not, it's not mildly implied. He expressly says it is the least important one it seems to be elevated and held up in the Pentecostal church. And I think that's one of the concerns that you run into from, from folks outside looking in. Okay. Tell me some other beliefs of the Pentecostals. What, what do they believe? What's different about what they believe? Well, so the biggest, for me, the biggest other belief that really, it was a, a huge distinctive is I came from a church that came out of I came from a church that came out of the UPCI church, United Pentecostal Church International. What is that? So it is a version of the Pentecostal church. So there was all, there was all kinds of things that happened during the early days of the Pentecostal church. And pretty much um, if you, if you ever end up kind of into the, the dark wacky side of the, of the web <laughs> with Christianity and you start looking up stuff, you'll, you'll run across some websites where people have, all kinds of opinions where God revealed this to me and God revealed that to oh. me. And this is, this is his word for the church and that's his word yeah. for the church. Sure. Okay. So nowadays we look into that, we look at st stuff like that and we're a little bit more dismissive of it because there's plenty of it out there and we recognize yeah. it for what it is. Anybody can say that God said this or God said that. Sure. But in the early days of the Pentecostal movement, there was so much of this fervor and this, 
this new energy that was going on where it was like, wow, we can actually have revival. We can have this personal experience with God where, where there's people that are, you know, maybe seeing visions or dreaming dreams or speaking prophecy or having a gift of tongues and interpretation. Somebody would, somebody would stand up and speak something and somebody else would interpret what they felt like was being said. And so there was all number of things that were, you know, some may be authentic from God, some not, and, and who knows, but there was, it was kind of this being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine kind of a thing that was going on in the, in the early Pentecostal movement. So at one point there was, I believe it was a baptism and I, I should have looked some of this stuff up um, before to brush up on some of this before the podcast tonight, but there was this guy that I think was a preacher or I don't remember what his position was, but he was going to be baptizing some people mm-hmm. and they baptized them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy ghost. Mm-hmm. And he went to bed that night at this campground. I think it was something somewhere in California around where the Azusa street revival had happened. He, they were in this campground having this revival. And I think there was more people going to be baptized the next day. And he was laying there and it started bothering him because he was seeing that in the new Testament, there was people that were being baptized in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yet, Jesus had said, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he, he got up the next day and he preached this long message ahead of this baptism, if I remember right. And in this message, he said how God had showed him that Jesus was the fullness of God manifested, that the fullness of God was manifested in Jesus, in the name Jesus. And that's why in the, in the early church, in the New Testament, that they were baptizing them in the name of Jesus. So he came up with this, with this oneness doctrine, which this wasn't, uh, this was not, new to Christianity. This was, this was disputed years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arianism was kind of rejected as, as a non-Christian cult back in the day because they rejected the Trinity, but this is where it was brought into the Pentecostal church. And so you had a split now where there was the oneness Pentecostal, which is the UPC church. Um, there was other Pentecostals that were, um, they still believed in the Trinity. Um, it, there's quite a few of those and I should have what, what are some of them? Assembly of God is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Church of God in Christ. Well, Church of God in Christ is predominantly black, uh, holiness, Pentecostals. Um, and some of them are not even Pentecostals. They're still just the holiness. Some of them are more Pentecostal. It's kind of interesting, but it came from the holiness movement as well. So some of them didn't take on this oneness theology to the extent that the UPCI church did. And I, I personally think that they took this to an ex, to an extreme. Oftentimes, they still do allow for like a, a what do they call it? Like utilitarian Trinity, where they still believe in the Trinity to a certain extent, yet they reject the Trinity for the for the the oneness doctrine. So, if you're baptized in any other church and you join a UPCI church, they rebaptize you in the name of Jesus, and they do this all the time. They baptize people in Jesus' name because they believe that that is um, the only legitimate baptism because if you baptize in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit it's it doesn't have the same representation doesn't have the power of uh power i don't understand it because how can you not have the power of the holy ghost in your life if you include the holy ghost in the baptism (laughs) but if you leave the holy ghost out of the baptism and you just do jesus then somehow that includes the holy ghost so you can now have the have the holy ghost it's kind of a it's this odd thing because i've always said you know, if you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the and the Holy Spirit, the Son is Jesus. So it seems like you got all your bases covered. But this is very, it's very strongly rejected as as um, as the New Testament Church only baptizes in Jesus' name, and so that's that's one of the UPCI distinctives. And and keep in mind, 
Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So they really have an issue with what Jesus said, and they only want to baptize people in the name of Jesus because they saw that done a few times in the book of Acts. Correct. And if you if you look at it, there was no distinct, um, there was not necessarily some distinct uh line of word word i'm trying to think of what the what the term that i'm looking for is but there was not this specific um method that they used in baptizing them it just says that they were baptized in jesus name sometimes it says they were baptized in, in the name of jesus uh so it's not it, it doesn't well, ever give a clear distinctive way of how you must baptize them other than jesus said baptize them in the name of the father and the son and the holy ghost that's the only clear mm -hmm. method that we have and so it, in the early church when i think the reason that it's that it states they were baptized in jesus is because there had there was plenty of other ways a lot of the jews had already been baptized they had been baptized mm -hmm. by john's baptism of, re of repentance they had been baptized in their their yearly rituals you know cleans mm -hmm. cleansing rituals so this was a baptism uh, a believer's baptism, uh, saying that they were baptized into Jesus, being a, becoming a Christian, they, their belief in Jesus. That was the emphasis was given on because it did distinguish between other baptisms. So that's why I think that it's given um, as saying that they were baptized in Jesus' name. All right. So that that's of course one of the one of the big distinctives that I grew up with was this this uh, oneness theology and the oneness theology. I don't necessarily what. What I, what, is there anything more to it, or is it just baptism? It's a one-time event that takes a minute, and you got to say just the right words. And then after that, is there any more baggage with the oneness theology, or is yes. it just, oh, there is? Have you ever sang the doxology? I've heard it sung. I refuse to sing it because it sounds so high churchy. <laughs> You know, okay. it, rem it reminds me of Catholicism. Well, well, you for and those I have... of you that are unfamiliar, Patrick Hayes, Irish Catholic from New Jersey. Uh, that's how I grew up. So anything that even, you know, smells Catholic, I reject out of hand. I don't care who said it. I grew up uh, rejecting most hymns that were <laughs> sung in most churches that would have yeah. had made any mention to, uh, like the, the doxology says, Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, how, that's how it, it. ends. That's, yeah. the, that's the evil trinity is brought in there at the end. <laughs> Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We avoided You're this fine. like a plague as if our salvation somehow might be jeopardized by actually repeating after Jesus when he says, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You know, he, we're, we're literally repeating something that not only Jesus said, but he commanded us to do, said, go and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so here is the weird thing about this. So I just ran into this in church uh, the Sunday before last. Somebody came up to me, asked me a question about something after I had the message in church. And they asked me a question about my belief on something. I repeated my belief on it. And they said, mm -hmm. well, don't you realize that Jesus was doing this during his life on earth before the new Testament took, took effect. And so this is the weird thing is, is that when you take this approach to anything, you might as well burn Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Sure. Burn those books. Cause you can't really go off of anything that Jesus did or said, because Jesus nope. was still old Testament, everything that Jesus until, did. Is... Until he died on the cross. So right. once he rose three days later, and technically for the period of time when he went 
down to paradise and set the captives free. And then he rose on the third day and he stayed on earth for what seemed to be, I think it was 37 more days. And on the 40th day he ascended. And then everything after that is fine, but yeah. Right. So you really, you really only have the, the new covenant didn't take effect until the crucifixion, which I, which I, I agree with this. I agree. I agree with that too. That that is the beginning. That's, that is when, that's when the the veil in the temple was torn. But honestly, if, if that were the case, then, then everything that Jesus did while he was on earth up Mm -hmm. until that point was really a waste of time. All of his teaching was a waste of time because we can't, we literally can't take his own words if he says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And we say, yeah, well, but yeah. that was before the new covenant. Take that was, that was Old so Testament. Now we have, to, we have to remodel this. He actually told them to go and do this after. He was telling them to go and do this after, right. yes. after yeah. the new covenant takes effect. Well, He's telling them what true. to do afterward. In Matthew, keep in mind, that portion in Matthew chapter 28, that is after he died and after rose the resurrection. Again. Yeah. Well, and I think the Pentecostal church, um, their distinction on this, where, where this gets even more confusing. And again, if you're, if you're one of my Pentecostal friends and you're listening to this, have a little, have a little grace with me here. I'm not trying to be hard on you. It's just, it is kind of funny when you think about how this becomes when you break something down theologically. So for them, the new covenants began on the day of Pentecost. That's when the spirit was poured out and that's when the new mm-hmm. covenant took effect. And so everything leading up to that point, so you can go ahead and delete everything that Je- happened with Jesus mm-hmm. after he rose from the dead. So the, those 37 days you're just talking about, you can throw that out as well because so then, the new covenant didn't take effect until the, until the day of Pentecost. And so the that's problem, when the fullness of God was manifested in Jesus was when the, the spirit was poured out or something like that. <laughs> okay. So the problem is, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 16 and 17, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For mm-hmm. a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So the Bible says that the New Testament kicks on upon the death of Christ. Pentecost happened 53 days later because you start counting to Pentecost, not on the Passover, but actually you start the counting of the Omer on the Feast of First Fruits, which is the first Sunday after uh, the, the Sabbath, after the Passover. Uh, if you're not into all this, read Leviticus 21 and you can catch up on all the feast days. Uh, <clears throat> so, so that means that for 53 days... Everything that happened was just this interim period that was yes, not so New if, Testament. So if you're going to burn the first, the, if you're going to burn the Gospels, like mm-hmm. I suggested earlier, definitely yeah. keep Hebrews 9.17 on hand, the, the Patrick, because that's going to be your one verse that's going to justify you and your actions in burning part of the New Testament. And, and nobody does that, of course. Uh, nobody yeah. does that. But the idea here is that um, what Jesus did while he was on earth we can't mimic Jesus's life. Um, we can't actually believe his words. And all that we have is the, the, the apostles' writings. And that's very problematic to me if you build a church based around, around that. Because right off the bat in the early church, you find that there was already problems in the early church. Oh, yeah. Uh, First generation. Jesus, it was a mess. Jesus pointed so, these out. So Very clearly Caleb, in Revelation. Yeah, go ahead. The church that worships God 
mm-hmm. when that God was actually on earth teaching people, they reject all of it. I mean, in, in, right? in, and, in, and in they reality, believe, <laughs> and they believe the first generation of guys who believed the God when he was on earth. Cause that's all they ever do is talk right. about the Lord and, you know, and what he did. And they, and, and they quote a great deal of the old Testament as well, but that's, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, that's, and, and to my new friend that I hopefully is watching tonight, cause I, I steered him to the Bible Thumper podcast. He was asking what the name of the podcast was. So he, so he mm-hmm. said that he was going to watch it. They had visited church. I think, I don't remember where they were from, but anyways, they, they visited our church and he was the one that challenged me on this. And this was his reason that he gave for why I should, um, reject some of the beliefs that I have of, of actually trying to, to follow Jesus and, and do what he did. And he said, well, you know, obviously that was before the new Testament, the new covenant took, took effect. So Jesus was old Testament. He was a Jew. We're not required to do those things. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I didn't argue with him on it, but of course I knew, I know where he's going with this. And I've been around the, I've been around the circle with this so many times with people and, yeah. and you know, the new Testament, the new covenant uh, with the church it, it did not, Jesus said he did not come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill it. So yes, he fulfilled, he fulfilled a lot of the old Testament as far as sacrificial law, but to think that we have to re- throw away at the entire old Testament, part of the new Testament. And we only can go with everything, you know, all the red letters in the Bible, you have to throw those away because Jesus was mm-hmm. wrong then because he was still under the old covenant. And that doesn't apply to us as Christians. To me, that's a very dangerous place to be where we really are literally taking the hardest part of scripture the hardest part to actually live out in scripture as far as God's law, God's way of being set apart from the rest of the world, his, uh, his nature, as far as things that are an abomination in the old Testament, all that gets thrown out where Jesus toughens things up in the new Testament adds more to that requirement. We throw that out as well. And now all that we have is we have the early church and the letters that were written to the early church. Um, and we, and, and, I think those letters are great if taken in mm-hmm. context with the rest of the scripture, which is what they were doing at the time. But now if we say, oh, no, we're a new, a new covenant church, New Testament church, and we throw this out, then we can end up off in the ditch, which I believe, with all due respect to the Pentecostal movement, I do believe that this is really what's happened here, where they become very focused, focused on this one distinctive that sets them aside from everybody else. And now all of a sudden, it's not only a distinctive that makes them different, it makes gives them exclusive access to God and nobody else is going to heaven because they don't have the gift of tongues or mm-hmm. they don't have the same belief on, on the fullness of God in Jesus with his oneness theology. And so this mm-hmm. makes them, this makes them have exclusive access. They're the one and only church. And I find this to be very problematic. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm just mm-hmm. saying it's, it, they're off in the ditch. In my opinion, I think this is problematic. The problem is any group that ever says we are the one and only church for me, that's a red flag that you've just crossed the line into crazy town. Right. Even if you don't want to say that group is a cult, that's fine, but they have some cult tendencies because one of the hallmark beliefs of every cult is that they believe they are the one and only church. And you can run down the list of them. You know, the <clears throat> the the difference is when Jesus wrote the letters, he wrote the letters to seven wildly different churches. And he wrote the letters to a couple churches that were amazing and a couple churches that were all but completely apostate. Mm-hmm. And he still called them churches. Right. It was a very different group, or there were seven groups on a very broad spectrum. 
But what made them Christian wasn't that they had this one key thing figured out. What made them Christian was that they believed that the blood of the lamb washed away all of their sins and nothing more. Right. So my my takeaway from it, I mean, there, there's really very few distinctives. Uh, there's a lot of lifestyle things that are... Give that us the, some of them. The, the They're interesting. Yeah. So the holiness movement really influenced the um, Pentecostal movement very, very okay. much. So some more so than others, but overall, um, if you would have gone to a Pentecostal church 30, 30, 40 years ago, um, mm. it would look very different than other churches in its, in its day. Now, okay. nowadays there's, there's kind of more of a simulation and they're kind of becoming more, um, more normal. And I don't necessarily know that that's all good. I think some of what they had was, was good. So by and large, Pentecostals did not allow TV. When TV became a thing, there was no television in the in the Pentecostal home because they felt mm -hmm. like that it was, you know, Satan giving a direct channel into the home. I grew up never watching TV, no movies. Uh, still to this day, I've only watched uh, a dozen movies, maybe probably less mm -hmm. than a dozen. Um, I don't personally. I mean, we have we have internet access. We you can get more on the internet than you can on TV. But I, I certainly did respect the this being set apart, the separation from the world. There, mm -hmm. um, the women don't cut their hair; they're not allowed to cut their hair. They don't they don't wear the head covering, but the Pentecostal Church does believe that the woman's hair is given to her for for a covering. So I, well, I do pray the them actually says that. Yes, I mean they, you know there's no getting around that. It says right. that in black and white. So and I so even though I I take a different stand on this, my wife does wear the veiling. I I. Um, do think that they're taking this to taking a, a decent look at scripture and something like this and, and, and mm -hmm. saying, all right, if, if the Bible says it, let's, let's act on it. And I do find them to be pretty active in a lot of things like this, where, where if there was practical ways that they could be set apart from the world, they weren't afraid to make a sacrifice. The holiness movement, they will like me having my top button unbuttoned is, yeah. I don't think that's Probably. allowed still. Um, short sleeves are not allowed for the men. So it's not just the it's not just the women, but the men as well have, have dress standards in the Holiness Church. A lot of the Holiness Church still doesn't allow, and this isn't Pentecostals, but um, I think some of the Pentecostals were very, it took them a long time to actually accept the internet. Uh, holiness movement still, my friends in Colorado, they started a new, a new church there, Bible chapel that allowed internet and they broke off from the Bible missionary, which is the holiness church that they were a part of. They broke off of that over the internet because they wouldn't allow even the businessmen in the church to have internet for their business. And so they had to split the church so they could have internet. So these were things that were taken very seriously. And of course I, I, I have respect for that, even though sometimes I think there can also be a danger to, to being too sheltered. And sometimes I wonder if certain groups shelter the members of the groups for fear that they would find out you know, that there's actually life outside of the group, so to speak. Um, so that's, that can be problematic. Go ahead. Here's the way I sit. I think it's great whenever a group sets a high standard and a standard of separation from the world. I think that's can wonderful. I, can I interrupt for a second? I yeah, personally, I see, I see it better when individuals do it than when a group does. But anyway, see, go now, here, here's what I was going to say. The problem is when the group enforces that belief as opposed to believes it strongly and teaches it and then respects the individual soul liberty that everyone is supposed to have. And that's the problem. And, and I hate to, I hate to say it, Caleb, that is a second hallmark of a cult mm -hmm. is when you have strong leadership that enforces their will upon those in the group. 
as opposed to having a high standard. Caleb, if you were to say a scale of one to 10, one being basically no standards whatsoever, just whatever you feel like, and 10 being locked down with, you know, nothing but the Bible in your life, where would you call my life as far as standards? I'm not going to take offense to it. Okay. And so we don't have I would, to agree. I would probably put you at an eight or nine. Okay. And with that being maybe said, se- maybe seven or eight. I forgot you smoke cigars. Let's go seven. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do smoke cigars. Okay. So that knocked me down a full point. So even though I have higher and tougher standards than the majority of Christianity, I don't push that in our little home church at all. I teach the standards that I believe the Bible explains. And I try to have higher standards in my life simply because if not, how are you going to teach them? Right. But Caleb, for crying out loud, I don't expect anybody under the sound of my voice to have any of the same standards that I do. I certainly don't put pressure on people to do so. Right. Because it's between them and God. My job's just to teach the Bible and love all the people that God allowed me to influence. And enforce them to apply the Bible to their life the way that you think that they should, right? Yeah, lock them down. Put put their arm behind their back and twist until until they submit. And that's the difference is what, what you just said is that you think it's great when individuals make a decision to have high standards. And there's nothing wrong with with a pastor or a church or a group having high standards. But when that group enforces them on their people or makes it so you're not allowed to be a part of the group because of it, that gets tougher. And we've talked about this where every group has a minimum and the Bible even goes over it. And we talked about that in our, in our discussions on church discipline and, and how much sin do you let into the church and all those things. Believe me, I'm, I'm not saying anything goes, but what I am saying is I don't have the right to try to force people. I don't have any authority. I have zero. Uh, well, so you, I, would, you wouldn't make a very good Pentecostal would, preacher. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> See, one of the things, I think one of the things that for me, and I don't know that I have a really sound uh, viewpoint on what really goes on in, in the, the mainstream Pentecostal church. I probably should spend mm-hmm. more time. I did spend some time in a holiness church. I spent some time in... Um, or in or around uh, the the UPCI church mm-hmm. or, or an offshoot from that. Uh, but one of the things that, that I've noticed that I, well, I mean, I totally grew up believing that we were, that our church was the one and only church. I believed yeah. that. Yeah. A lot of people and, that grow up in those churches do. That's natural because that's what everyone says. And I wished that other people would, would come and visit our church to give it a, mm-hmm. you know, give it a spin and see, you know, see what it was like to be a part of the real church, you know? Um, <laughs> I don't know that I ever really heard it preached from the pulpit explicitly like that, but it was definitely yeah. insinuated and it was definitely yeah. believed by and large by, by the, the, the laity of the church. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that bothers me about this is when there's a church that, uh, that puts so much emphasis on revelation, mm-hmm. God's word, not just the written word, not just the Bible, but the, the word of God being revealed through 
through the Holy Spirit, through dreams or visions or prophecy, it puts you in a in a position where if you believe that the ministers of your church are anointed by God, that they have the authority, the church authority behind them, and that they that when God speaks something to them, that that anything goes. It's fortunately, I I I think there is also in the Pentecostal church there's a lot of emphasis on on spirit and truth. The Bible says to worship God in spirit and in truth, and and oftentimes there is this truth emphasis as well. But if it weren't for that, um, there are some, and you can look them up, some of these groups that have ended up way off the rails where God spoke this or God spoke that. Next thing you know, they, they pack up and they move out, move out of town. And I'm not saying these are Pentecostals, but they were similar beliefs where they pack up, move out of town, move out of the country, and everybody commits suicide, drinks Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, where did that come in? And where that comes in is where you where where you take that first step where you are willing to stray from from God's word and accept revelation as God's word, even if it contradicts the Bible. As soon as you make that switch, I'm done. I check out. All right. I I can't do this anymore. And that's the whole idea. And we've talked about this so many times where no matter what we believe, we have a filter that we run everything through. And that's the word of God. And if what I think or what I come up with doesn't line up with the word of God, I don't change the word of God to make it fit what I believe, I change what I believe because what I believe is wrong. And that's exactly what Caleb's describing is you would, you would put the feelings of people, the visions of people, the dreams of people, the, the revelations that they believe they got from God above anything uh, that the word of God says. And that's where you get into really dangerous waters. And I agree at that point, I'm like, yep, I'm checking out. See you guys later. Right. So I'm yeah. curious, Adam, uh, what's your background? Mm-hmm. Are you from Pentecostal or do you know anything about mm-hmm. it? I'm just curious since you're the only guy in the comments right now, I, I guess Glenda is, I'm not sure Glenda, if you're still on here, what your background is. Um, one of the things that I've, so I have to, I have to go back and say this. There's something about it that's very attractive to me, the Pentecostal movement. There's something about it that is extremely attractive to me, and that is the idea that that the, that a relationship with God is not something that that we read about, that we read about other people that experienced it. It's something that we experience today in our lives. And so this is, um, okay, so he grew up charismatic, but then as an adult, a Baptist. Um, so... For, for me, the, the thing that I feel like that they did get right and that they do get right, and, and I feel like a lot of other people do get this right as far as a lot of the charismatic uh, experience that people have in other churches, is that God does still speak to us today. God does mm-hmm. still heal. God does still do miracles in our lives today. There's times where where we have a need and we pray and God answers that that need for us. And it's not just something that we read about God being active you know, 2000 years ago, and that he's just kind of turned this whole thing loose and that he's no longer meddling in our affairs, that we're just mm-hmm. kind of living on a memory. And so they really, they really have put a lot of, em- the Pentecostal church put a lot of emphasis on not only this, this second work of grace where, where you um, experience speaking in tongues, but they put a lot of emphasis on week by week and this is probably the biggest experience th- that would be different if you walk into a Pentecostal church. And I would encourage anybody to go visit one. It's, mm-hmm. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it's worth a good laugh anyways, but, but you'll probably get a kick out of it. Um, 
<laughs> I, probably, I probably just lost the rest of my Pentecostal friends saying that. But you'll probably, you'll probably, it'll be a culture shock. You'll realize, wow, these people really do put a lot of emphasis on the experience of, you know, experiencing God in their service. And mm-hmm. and I I do I actually do think that this is something that they get right. That God doesn't intend for us to to just know about Him, but He intends for us to know Him. And I have had many many times, many occasions where in prayer, sometimes it's you know just driving down the road in my car or in church or with a group of of friends praying with people this if you've if you've spent time with me and prayed with me you probably know i can be an emotional person i you know sometimes i'll tear up um i do find god to be a, a real relevant person and not just a memory of something that i read about existing a long time ago and so this is one thing that is very different in their churches there's so much emphasis put on this that honestly it drives me crazy because i feel like Every time that you go, they're trying to outdo the last service. It's trying, mm-hmm. they're trying to make it bigger and better than the last service. And so there's so much emphasis on it that sometimes I wonder how authentic it is. And I'll just be honest, I don't know. And I'll never, I'll never, I'm never one to point fingers and say that isn't God. Um, if, if God is moving in somebody's life and, and he speaks something to them or they experience, um, you know, life after death experience where they go up to heaven and come back, you know, I'm very cynical about it. I'm very skeptical, but I'm not going to be vo- vocal about it. I'm not usually going to mm-hmm. say, oh, I think I don't, I don't think that's a true story <clears throat> where I am 100 percent willing to say that's not God, though. And where I think that we can say this is when it doesn't line up with the scripture. When we see mm-hmm. something that contradicts the scripture, we can we can say that doesn't seem like it's God because the Bible says this and you and you disagree with it here. Mm-hmm. And the problem with this is that there's been so much emphasis in a lot of the Pentecostal church on this that by and large, they'll read however many different versions of scripture they have to to make the Bible say or agree with what they believe that God has revealed to them. And it could come down to lifestyle things. It could come down to dietary things where they feel like maybe mm-hmm. you should be eating something different or, or <clears throat> all number of things. It could be, uh, you know, somebody has this revelation and this can be the laity. Somebody can stand up and testify. This is very common in the Pentecostal church for somebody, you know, it could be a, a man or a woman or somebody that's brand new Christian that has very little biblical understanding that stands up and, and, and testifies that God just spoke to me this, or maybe somebody speaks in tongues and then somebody else stands up and interprets. And mm-hmm. if there's not a good check and balance to make sure this is checked against the Bible, sometimes this is where it can lead off. Uh, I've seen it lead way off into the ditches very quickly. And I uh, I don't know what the future of the Pentecostal church is, but I have, I've always figured that it would probably fizzle out over after after a couple hundred years, 150, 200 years. We're, we're already 120 years into it. And it's still going strong. I think there's two or three million Pentecostals worldwide. Uh, so it's still going strong. And I'm wondering if, I'm hoping, my hope is that there's kind of a revival in the Pentecostal church. It started as this revival. I'm hoping that there's more of a revival in the Pentecostal church where there's more of an emphasis on truth, where they're willing to come back to the Bible and say, all right, we're going to put emphasis on God's word above all else. And then we check, we, we check spiritual revelation against the Bible. And if it doesn't agree with it, then we throw it out. And to me, that would be, that would be the only saving grace for the Pentecostal movement is if there is, is if there's a, a firm footing on God's word. And oftentimes I've found in, in the different movements, if you look at their history and why they've ended up in all the, you know, shifting in all the different directions, oftentimes it's because of spiritual revelation and them going heavily off of that and then interpreting the Bible based off of their spiritual revelation, which I just think is, it's, it's, it's dangerous ground. And of course, a lot of them would say, well, if you're not willing to, to 
have spiritual revelation to interpret the Bible, then you can't un, you can't understand the Bible because the Bible is only revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. I that's that is a scriptural concept, but I think that if you if you're not careful, your opinion sways your your emotions can sway and and have a play on the Bible rather than the Bible having a play on your emotions mm-hmm. and your opinions. Okay, so a thought that I had, and I'm going to echo something that Adam just put up here. Uh, they often consider those that are the most charismatic to be the closest to God. Caleb, what you said also really, you know, rung in my ears because I've been to some Pentecostal churches. I've had some friends that were part of them, and I've been to them for for a while. And what you were saying really made sense to me that they're always trying to outdo whatever happened last week. They're trying to keep the sensation going. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing, Caleb, have you ever been to a professional sporting event? No. Have you ever been Uh, to a college sporting event? Okay. High school football is best. That's okay. Uh, Even if you've been to a high school football game, if you've ever seen a kickoff and the guy runs it all the way back for a touchdown, by the time he gets to the end zone, Everyone in the stands on his side are standing, right? We all have our hands up. We're screaming at the top of our lungs. We're clapping and we're cheering and okay. And it is exciting and it is a little bit of a mountaintop experience, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is at the end, the real world comes back. And you got to go find your car in the parking lot and you got to wade through traffic to get home and you get home and the dog pooped on the carpet and, you know, and you, and it's like the mountaintop, you don't keep your hands up all week, right? You get, you get back to, you get back to life. And Caleb, Moses came back down from the mountain. Mm -hmm. He didn't stay up there. And when he first came down, do you remember the problem that there was? <laughs> the it was surrounding. <laughs> well, no, no, no. So what I'm talking about is a different event. His face was right. glowing, right? <clears throat> and everyone saw his face glowing and they were all impressed by it because it shone like the sun. It was, it was bright. The way the Bible describes it, it was supernaturally awe-inspiring how light was beaming from his face. Did they cover his face when it was that bright? They did not. Do you know when they started to cover it? When it started to, started to go away. When it started to fade right. because they didn't want people thinking that Moses no longer had something. The fact is it faded away and the light was gone because you don't live up on the mountaintop. You, you go up there from time to time and that's great, but it seems like it, it's a church where they're trying to continue that feeling and push it on, push it further down the road so that you never lose it. And if you've gone to a concert, if you've gone to a sporting event, if you've gone to an amusement park and gotten on a roller coaster, it's all a lot of fun <clears throat> and adrenaline's pumping and it's exciting. But, you know, it seems to me that they are 
pushing for that experience and whoever has the experience is close to God and is almost rewarded with acceptance from the other members and those that are not, it's one of those where it's like, Caleb, I would feel as if I was in the wrong because I had a bad week. Right. I'd feel like I need, I need to leave that in the parking lot and put my game face on and Okay, so that's funny that you bring that up. So we, so there's some terms, and of course, I don't know if these are terms across the board in the in in the rest of Pentecostal Church because we kind of have our our own quirks in in the group that I came from. (laughs) But we would spend time. They they talked about they would talk about praying through and trying to get Mm -hmm. into the spirit. So on the way to on the way to church, there was Mm -hmm. you know crying out to God, begging Mm -hmm. God to come in and and you know open up our hearts and and Mm -hmm. bring us into the spirit and whatever. So there was there was there was a lot of preparation to get your game face on. And and that's funny because the Pentecostal churches that I was at, they strongly recommended you go to the prayer service before the church service for a good half an hour of getting on your face before God. So you would you would be crying out to the Lord on the drive to church in between bouts of telling your wife and kids to shut up and sit down. <laughs> so it was <laughs> basically. So no, I've never attended Pentecostal church uh, as a as an adult. As a family, but, okay. Um, my my dad left the church when I was like four. I think mm-hmm. four years old, something like that. My mom and uh, and us children attended the church, and we drive from Grand Junction down to like Crawford or Hotchkiss, okay. wherever the church was. So it was like a good hour long drive. My mom yeah. would be up up in the front seat of the van driving us to church, and she'd be you know on her knees before God. Well, not really <laughs> on her knees, you know. She's yeah nur- nursing the baby, driving the van, <laughs> trying to fix somebody a peanut butter sandwich, <laughs> spank somebody in the back seat, and pray all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> there was some sort of a supernatural miracle that we made it to church, <laughs> but. We did. Um, anyways, no, hopefully my mom doesn't ever get on Facebook and watch these. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it was, there was a lot of emphasis on that. In fact, I remember meetings where we would get into a prayer meeting and, and somebody would, you know, the, the pastor or whatever, the guy that was heading up the meeting would mm-hmm. say, you know what, um, you guys didn't pray through before you came to church. The spirit isn't moving here. You Everybody needs tell. to go back home, spend 30 minutes on your knees and come back and we're going to, and we're going to, reconvene the meeting so there was serious pressure that you need to show up with your game face on oh yeah for sure for sure <laughs> wow so, so yeah i wouldn't have thought of that except that you brought that up as far as the game face i never even thought of it as a game face but yeah that's there's a lot of pressure to show up and experience yep. god in and be, be ready for it and okay so so let me ask you this so the guys that are the fans on the football games and the hockey games that take off their shirt and paint their body in two different colors for the team. Those are the kind of folks that I can expect at a Pentecostal church. Probably, probably. <laughs> except that it's heavily discouraged to go yeah. to sporting events because they sure. consider that like, you know, idolatry because you're worshiping oh, yeah. the sporting, the sporting yeah. event. No, no, I understand. Yeah. That was a poor analogy. It's, 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 it's too similar. It's okay, too similar so, to what you experience at church. They don't want you to. They don't want you to realize you can get the same <laughs> you can euphoria from other places. <laughs> I should. I okay. should not have said that. <laughs> I just lost my other three Pentecostal friends. Uh, okay, so let me ask you this: Is there a certain name behind the Pentecostals? With a lot of groups, there is a certain name that started it that they kind of follow. 
it seems like the Pentecostal started from splitting off of other groups and it was, it was a little bit more of a loosely knit, you know, group yeah, of so, churches that followed beliefs or was there, you know, cause John you Wesley. said with the holy, with the holiness doctrine, there was the guy that, you know, started it and went that way. And with the oneness doctrine, or was that the same one? I'm confused now. So John Wesley and, and the Methodists, the holiness mm -hmm. movement and, and the Pentecostals, they all come from John Wesley. So that's the, okay. that's the only really one name that you could kind of, that you could kind of stick to. So it they're an offshoot of the Methodists. Yes. And they're the Wesleyan they're, church. They're, we they're Wesleyan doctrine plus and minus a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's messed up. West. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. They've 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 perfected the Wesleyan doctrine. Oh, good for them. Grades. So there's good. yeah, there's not I wouldn't say that there was really like I said, it was kind of really started off as almost this um this bit of a re rebellious revolution, um mm -hmm. kind of going against the grain with organized religion. It mm -hmm. wasn't there was no emphasis on being trained Bible teachers, skilled speakers. <laughs> That was there. There was nothing. There was no emphasis. It was very much the emphasis was on the experience of the Holy Spirit, and that's really what gained you credit. And that's, I mean, what you you really hit the nail on the head when you said you're the close, or I guess Adam is one that said that the often the, they often consider those that are the most charismatic to be close to God, and there I I really did feel that, and I have experienced that in my in my time in in the in the services that there could be people that well, for instance, I went to a Pentecostal church in. Minnesota visited there for a little bit after I mm -hmm. bought a house up there. And there was a guy there that don't get me wrong. This doesn't, I don't think this is common among Pentecostal churches. This just happened to be my experience. My first time actually attending a Pentecostal church. So we went from, my dad left the church. My mom stayed. Then the church packed up from Colorado, moved to Texas. And we, we were home church after that. Didn't, I, I didn't grow up in church the rest of my life from like probably eight or nine on mm -hmm. until <clears throat> 23 I didn't attend and, church. And the group that went to Texas, just to be clear, everybody, they formed a compound and put up razor wire <laughs> and the ATF came through and wiped them out. So you don't have to worry about them spreading their ideas anymore. The FBI and the ATF put an end to it. Uh, no. So, and we and we thank no. the Lord for their service. <laughs> wow. Yeah, hopefully you hopefully hopefully you find your your prayer closet before you go to bed tonight. So um <laughs> uh, no, that was a tragic ending to the, that uh, David. I, think, I guess that was David Koresh and his. Oh, there's a there. bunch of them. David Koresh, but, Ruby Rich. Yeah, David Koresh was the was the that was the big one in Waco. Yeah, in Waco. Yeah, but you know the the church that mm -hmm. I grew up in is still alive and well. We still have a lot of friends there. I mm -hmm. I visited. You them. used to. You you formally <laughs> had friends tonight. there before, before tonight, tonight. You probably had. No, there. I doubt that they're allowed to watch the podcast. <laughs> if, any of, if any of you are watching this, you're probably cheating. Don't. Oh. I, won't, I won't tell your pastors that. You watch yep. this. We're gonna figure no. out who you are and report. No, you. they they actually do have internet. Some of them have Facebook for their for, for their businesses, but it's pretty mm -hmm. discouraged. There, they still are. That particular group has probably done one of the done the best job at really sticking to the you know the modest dress, the set apart lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, they're very much they they didn't evolve with the rest of the Pentecostal church. In fact, they kind of well they branched off from the Pentecostal church and they went probably further into the kind of the holiness lifestyle. Um, they, most of them mm -hmm. grow their own food. They farm with horses. They live almost more like the Amish. So it's, wow. they're very, um, well, they, at least they all dabble in that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have real real world jobs and, um, mm -hmm. they don't 
they're not totally self-sustaining. But <clears throat> oh man, where was I going before we got onto that? Oh, you said something about them moving to Texas and getting <laughs> taken out by the the ATF. <laughs> yeah. um, so my wife grew up there in that church until she was. Uh, not long before we got married mm -hmm. and she she always she, it drives her nuts when people confuse uh the, the name of that church um well i'm not even gonna name the church on the podcast yeah probably <laughs> when people there. when people confuse their church with um david koresh that it, it drives them oh nuts. that's hysterical people actually <laughs> mis accidentally mistake their church for for the well, branch davidians i'm not sh i'm not sure how often that happens it's uneducated people that are like visiting waco from the outside or whatever <laughs> and think that there might be some correlation between them or or, or sometimes the fundamentalist mormons or you know did whatever they like, they did they make a mistake and like name their group the ranch floridians <laughs> <laughs> the ranch floridians no it's actually i i would encourage anybody that ends up in central texas to go visit it's called homestead heritage i'll just i'll just name it, name it here. go visit them they're great people i have a ton of friends there they are not up they're not they're not pentecostal no. anymore they're not upci so uh, this podcast mm -hmm. is not about them they're they are their own their own nice save <laughs> But that is the bulk of my the bulk of my experience um, <laughs> in the Pentecostal Church was not actually UPC Church. It was it was with this offshoot offshoot from the UPC Church. So all that being said, I moved okay. to Minnesota and I oh, go and attend a church mm -hmm. service there. And at this church service, there's this guy, and this is a Pentecostal church. And there's this guy that's there that yeah. he is very active in the church. He's going around laying hands on people, praying for them, walking mm -hmm. the aisle, throwing his hands up in the mm -hmm. air praying and speaking in tongues. Um, then he also comes over to my neighbor's house, which my neighbor is a truck driver and um, had been friends with this guy from way back. So this old, this old guy um, would come over to my neighbor's house. He was an old German guy. And at my neighbor's house, he'd be over there drinking beer and cussing up a storm mm -hmm. and totally different. I had no idea that he was a Christian there. And I didn't recognize it as the same guy until after I'd been to church there a few times. I was like, wait, that's the same guy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I go and I ask my neighbor about it. I was like, hey, how long have you known this guy? He's like, oh, yeah, we went to school together. We've known each other since we were kids or whatever. <clears throat> and he starts telling me this guy is a sex offender because he met, he molested his own grandchildren and his own daughter. And he's not allowed to see his own grandchildren. And yet he's in the Pentecostal church. Looks like he's just the cream of the crop in there because he's the most charismatic or one of the most char charismatic. He's like the, he's like the cheerleader in the church mm -hmm. service laying hands on people in the church service. And yet mm -hmm. he's not legally allowed to touch his own grandchildren. And I was like, Whoa, something is wow. very, very messed up here. So that's, uh, that is um, to Adam Hutchinson's point here, as far as there being emphasis on the most spiritual is the yeah. one that's the loudest and the most active. And that can you know, be very dangerous. That can be very so, dangerous if there's if you can put on such a good front in church on Sunday and go home and yeah. live like the devil seven days a week and show back up to church on Sunday and, and look great in church. But So that makes me think there's not a whole lot of Bible colleges and seminaries in these groups because there can't be that much of an emphasis on learning the word of God since it is the emotions that we're wrapped up in that are paramount. It's feeling over scripture. They would say you're a true outsider because you've never experienced it. You say it's emotions, but it's God. It's really God. Well, and that's that's kind of the the argument that you cannot confront. 
No, and I, I don't because I, I know there are people that I, I personally know people in the church, um, in the Pentecostal church, that I've known them intimately long enough to know that for them, this is a genuine, I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it is a genuine thing. For others, they, they're probably faking it. Some people mm-hmm. are very, very sincere. My mom, for instance, my mom is one of the most charismatic, spirit-filled people that you're going to ever run into. She's very, very much a Pentecostal through and through. Mm-hmm. She still attends a UPCI church. My mom and I are great friends. If I need somebody to pray for me, um, mm-hmm. if we're going through childbirth or something like that, my mom's one of the first people I'm going to call. I, I trust my mom's walk with God 100%, and I don't believe that she's faking it at all. Mm-hmm. But there are people in the church that I know that are, I, that I, I sit, I sit in a church service and I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure this is not, this is not the real deal going on here. Yeah. And, and, and I, sh- I want to echo what Caleb is saying. Okay. I know Caleb's mom. I love her to death. I was at her property today working on her house. Okay. And I agree. I have never thought anything uh, about your mom, but there's a lady that truly loves God and wants to do God's will. That's the only thing I've ever you know, uh, believed about your mom and I've known you and your family for how long? I mean, just forever. Right. Um, and, and I don't want to anyone to think that, uh, I am calling everyone that goes to a Pentecostal church, a phony any more than any other group. We are just simply highlighting some of the issues that you can run into based on the beliefs that they have and some of the experiences that both Caleb and I have had in the Pentecostal churches that we have attended over the years. So, and yeah, that being said, there's the other side of it is that, that those that are naysayers, just like when Jesus was here, there's people mm-hmm. that were mocking him when he was doing sure. miracles and saying, Oh, you're doing yeah. this by the power of the devil. And so there's, there's going to be, there's going to be people that have never experienced it. And I, I would say that, it's not, it's not wise to just look from the outside and, and dismiss it or be a hundred percent dismissive of it. Realize there is the danger of the, the pitfall of ending over, ending up over in the ditch. But there's plenty mm-hmm. of people that are, I mean, I, I've read stories about you know, Corey Ten Boom and, and Christians from Catholics, um, <coughs> Lutherans, every, every version of Christian Christians where I've mm-hmm. read stories of people that have had miraculous encounters with God, where they've, where they've had spiritual experiences that I believe were, were very authentic and the fruit in their life as a Christian was, was good fruit. And mm-hmm. so obviously this is something that there's just, this is the only church that, that this is the thing that makes them distinct uh, apart from everybody else is this is really where the emphasis is, is on this experience of the Holy spirit. And so there ends up, ends up being that no matter how good that can be when, when the whole church, like for instance, there's Quakers, there's mm-hmm. the sleeping preacher Mennonites. Those that's some, some version of Mennonites where I guess the preachers fell asleep at one point And they thought that it was like some, some work of the spirit because the, the, the preacher went into a trance. And so then they became, they, they formed this whole church based off of the sleeping preacher, the Quakers, somebody was quaking at one point, you know, they were praying or, or having some move of the Holy spirit and they ended up quaking. And so the whole church became Quakers because they put emphasis on this quaking and shaking. There's other people where they put emphasis on being slain in the spirit and, you know, mm-hmm. falling down on the, on the floor. And I just, I don't think that it's good. Anytime that we, that we do that, we take the focus off of God and we put it onto this other thing, which I think can become an idol. If we're not careful, it becomes an idol where we focus on that thing that no matter how good it was when it happened, you know, Patrick's mentioned this before about the um, Ashtoreth poles and how they, how that became idol worship. And it was something that initially was something that God God commanded. Yeah. And really, if you're going to latch on to something and say, I want 
as a Christian, I want to be distinct from all other Christians because of this one thing. Do yourself a favor and make it the Bible. Right. You're never going to lose if you say, you know what? If there's one thing I want Christians to know me for, I want them to know that the name of Patrick Hayes is synonymous with just being a stubborn Bible believer. Just a guy that won't give up if the Bible says it. Good luck were, convincing you were him otherwise. With, you were born with at least half of that, the stubborn part. I think that's your spiritual yeah. gift. <laughs> 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 but I'm telling you, it's it, it's always a safe bet to do that because it's the word of God. Whenever you decide, I'm going to take this thing that I saw this guy do and make that what I hold on to and follow after, you're just setting yourself up for heartache further on down the road. You really are. You know, so, uh, Caleb, we've been on for far yeah. too long. I think hour, hour and a half looks like so. Yeah, I would say let's uh, call it a night. Thank you, Everybody, everyone, for coming. Go, vi go visit your local Pentecostal church. Go visit your lo local Pentecostal church for a couple of times and check it out, and and then you'll have your own stories uh, that you can uh, come back here and relate and to us. One thing I will say is mm -hmm. times where I've needed God in my life, I don't know if I would have been as apt to turn to him if I hadn't been around uh, and hadn't been in Pentecostal church services or been around people that really put so much emphasis on the supernatural side of, of God. And I don't know mm -hmm. if I would have prayed for healing. And there's been times where God has, has miraculously healed me from things that I that could have been could have been bad. And, and I don't know if I would have thought to pray if I wouldn't have realized that there's power in, you know, in the name of Jesus and, and in turning to him in prayer. Mm -hmm. So all of the negative niches <clears throat> you can end up in aside from that, I wish that I, I do wish that everybody and I hope that every Christian does seek and experience God and, and his power in a real way in their life and realize that he is relevant in our lives today. Mm -hmm. but there's one thing we can learn from the Pentecostal church. That is that God is God is still alive and well and, and moves today, just like he did back then. So go visit a Pentecostal church and then there you go. Then, <laughs> then don't take my, don't take my, uh, Word for Gene Scholl is wondering what next week's going to be on. We're talking about the Lutheran Church next week. Is that correct? Yeah, that was the goal is we're going to go over Lutherans. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.